Hello and welcome to the Road to Recycling podcast. I'm Lorene Urbina, VP of Communications for Carton Council of North America, and I'll also be your host for today's episode. So we're here today uh, with three folks that were around at the very beginning of Carton Council, and we're here today to tell the origin story of how the Carton Council came together and a little bit about how it evolved over the years. Um, so I'll start with some introductions. So Alan, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, way back then I was the CEO of uh, Tetra Pak North America and, and recognized that one of the constraints to, to growth in, uh, in America would be uh, if we weren't able to recycle the cartons. So as you, as you develop a business plan that says this is where I think we can be in 5, 10, 20 years time, you look at what are the things that are going to prevent you from getting there and one of them was recycling. So we had to tackle that. Right. Um, Ed, I know you were around at the beginning too. What was your role and maybe your background? Okay, my uh, background is that um, I spent 10 years at the environment, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and Tetra Pak recruited me from there. Um, and I was involved with the predecessor organization called the Aseptic Packaging Council. Um, and um, I was the appointed the executive director of the Carton Council from day one, and that I still hold that position. And then Jeff, I know you were brought in um, a little bit further down the road based on your background and experience. So if you could talk a little bit about that and then your role with Carton Council. Sure, sure, ba back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, at, at the time I, I had dedicated my, my career to recycling and had a, a really interesting uh, background from uh, paper recycling, to creating single stream recycling, uh, to ultimately uh, operating uh, even plastic re uh, recycling facilities. And so uh, my experiences were at the time with a company called the Peltz Group, which was a privately held uh, recycling company, mostly focused on uh, all grades of fiber for recycling. Uh, and then uh, that company was sold to waste management uh, and I spent uh, many years and as the Vice President of Operations for uh, recycling centers in uh, Midwest U.S. and through Canada. Um, and then right before joining um, Tetra Pak uh, and actually on the journey for the Carton Council, I had just sold a glass recycling company that I had with uh, some other partners. And uh, that's kind of the origin of, uh, of, of my joining um, this journey. And my role with um, Tetra Pak and the Carton Council was to really solve the problem, come up with a scalable model that could actually increase the access to recycling and so put the past experience into action. So I know one of the challenges um, back then and a challenge we continue to face today is understanding of what a carton is. So what do we mean when we say food and beverage cartons? Okay, well food and beverage cartons you can broadly categorize into two groups. One is the gable top carton which uh, has a gable, hence the name. And generally that's refrigerated and they're just two uh, materials, the fiber and the polyethylene. The uh, other one is the, the aseptic carton, which has not just the polyethylene and the fiber, but also a layer of aluminum, which is there to protect uh, the contents, the products from light and oxygen. And that doesn't need to be refrigerated. So the type of products that you'd see in cartons would be juice, milk, uh, dairy alternatives such as soy or 
almond or oat milk. Uh, what else, There's Jeff? soups and broths. Wine? Cocktails? Ooh. I mean, and who doesn't love a great cocktail, right? Um, which is actually a perfect segue into talking about what were the challenges we were facing? Now that we understand what cartons are, what were the challenges we were facing when it comes to carton recycling when all of this got started? Yeah, well, about uh, uh, 10 years after aseptic cartons were introduced into the US, the Environmental Protection Agency uh, started up something called the Agenda for Action, which was designed to stimulate the recycling of cartons. And on the face of it, a great idea, but uh, some of the communication around that led to sort of misunderstandings about whether cartons could actually be recycled because of the multiple layers that they, that, that they contain. Uh, Ed, you're quite involved at that stage, huh? Yes, I, I really was. Um, actually, I was recruited out of EPA to come and work for Tetra Pak, and we set up a group called the Aseptic Packaging Council. It was Tetra Pak and SIG. And that basically evolved into the Carton Council of North America, which currently has Elopac, Pactive Evergreen, which used to be Evergreen, um, SIG, and Tetra Pak. And those are the members of the Carton Council today. And the purpose of the Aseptic Packaging Council was to let interested parties know about the benefits of cartons from an environmental perspective, lightweight, made mostly from paper, which is a renewable resource, climate friendly, uh, and they could be recycled. However, at that time, there was no recycling that was actually taking place. Now, we knew that the cartons could be recycled because our factory scrap was recycled. Um, and it was valuable, so we knew it could be recycled, but there was no infrastructure for it. So what we, at the Aseptic Packaging Council, what we did was we set up in order to facilitate recycling. We did not make any investments um, directly in, into recycling. We didn't provide economic incentives. What we did essentially by facilitating, I mean we pulled the uh, interested parties together and told them about the uh, benefits of recycling cartons. And we, had, we went from zero recycling to very modest recycling as a result of that. Wow. So is that then when the Carton Council got started, Alan? I guess that might have been the early days of thoughts about getting this together. Um, it wasn't quite that simple, though, because it's not as though you could take an environmental recycling model uh, from somewhere else and just plonk it on top of, uh, of the US system because, for instance, in, in, in Germany or Brazil or China, the infrastructure is different, the legislation is different, the, uh, the consumers react differently to environmental issues. So we had to find a particular formula that would work specifically for the United States. And uh, working for an international company, fortunately we had experts around the world and we could tap into the knowledge of how this had been set up in other places. Uh, so what we did was we actually pulled them all together. You might recall that, Ed. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, we had good people working on recycling, but we were all outsiders. And Alan, your idea of making sure that we had an insider, someone who understands recycling from the inside and out, understands the business, understands the, uh, the technical issues and the operational issues, that was the key. 
And so your idea of bringing in somebody uh, uh, from who knows it inside and out from the inside was great. And Jeff was the guy and he did great. And after Jeff, Jason Pelz, same thing. And I think that is the linchpin to the success of the recycling of the Carton Council. So, I didn't even know people like this existed. <laughs> Jeff, why on earth did you take this job? What a daunting task. Oh, <laughs> uh, I tell you, uh, I remember sitting in your office in Vernon Hills when we were having the discussion uh, and, and really understanding the ambition to increase recycling of, of cartons. I asked what resources were available, like what would I have to work with? And uh, you looked to me and said, Jeff, if I knew what tools to put in the toolbox, that would imply I knew how to solve the problem and wouldn't need you. I thought that was a great, uh, a great uh, way to approach it. And then, and then turning to the next, the next question when we were having that meeting, it was what resources would be available? So if you don't know what the tools are, how much would I have to work with to help solve the problem? And you went over to your desk, pulled out a blank checkbook and said, tell me what to fill in. Help me solve the problem and we will uh, we'll make it happen. I remember that. So on that basis, you took the job? <laughs> it was a great challenge. Um, You're a brave guy, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I remember the first thing uh, after leaving to say, how can we solve the problem? You know, the first thing we did is I went back and flew down to Florida to spend some time with a longtime uh, friend and expert, uh, Victor Storelli. And we played for a day and a half on how could we maximize the value of recycling. And basically what we came up with was a model that said <clears throat> the value of the carton is really the fiber on the inside. And we knew that the mills were going to eventually need it. And so we started the model from, from that point where we said we're going to create a way that recycling works in the U.S where we can prove to the recyclers, the MRFs, or those that are doing the sorters, and those that were the end markets on how to actually make recycling happen. Ah, yes, I remember that. You used to refer to the, the meat in the lobster. You had to just crack the shell and then the juicy bits could come out. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> we also uh, decided that we didn't want to rush into this. I remember you, uh, you saying, well, okay, let me get onto this, and I said, Jeff, don't come back to me within a week with a plan. I don't want to see your plan within a month. I want you to use your network, your connections, and in three months' time, tell me what you need. So we were patient because we really wanted to know what would be the solution to this, not just a, a gloss over fix it. So that led us to uh, establish a goal that we wanted to get the recycling logo on our packages. And there are really two good reasons for doing that. Um, the, but you can't just put the logo on the pack. There are legal requirements. You know, and there's a group called the Federal Trade Commission, which is responsible for fed federally for uh, environmental claims. And their job is to make sure that environmental claims are honest and are not misleading people. So they set a criterion. If you want to put the recycling logo on the pack, there has to be at least 60% of the U.S. population uh, that has access to recycling the cartons. Okay, so we, we decided that it's really important to get the recycling logo. And there are 
to uh, unpack, and there are really two, two reasons for that. Um, the first one is that it speaks directly to consumers. When a consumer is trying to decide, gee, where am I, I'm going to put this in the recycling bin, um, it tells the consumer, okay? So that's important. Um, the other piece is that uh, to reach the 60% access to carton recycling, that would increase very, uh, very much the number of people who, who could recycle their cartons. And so by increasing the number of people who could recycling car recycle their cartons and by informing them with the recycling logo, we have tooth areas which will lead to a great expansion of recycling, which is really what our goal was. And, <clears throat> you know, the first thing um, to really make sure that the recycling infrastructure would work for cartons was to study it. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, and that meant going to a lot of recycling centers throughout the U.S. Uh, and at that time, a single stream was really gaining uh, momentum. And that's when all types of commodities are put together and then sorted uh, at a recycling site, either by size or by material uh, type or by weight. And so the first thing was to say, how do cartons flow through a recycling center? And what we did is we spray painted a bunch of cartons so we could actually visually watch them flow through. And not surprisingly, we just wanted to prove out our thesis, it flowed like a cylinder or a container. And that meant most of the cartons would end up in part of the recycling stream or part of, of the, uh, the recycling sorting center where all the other container types were. So we now knew that we had an access point to collect cartons. The next thing that we, we looked at is like, how do we manage to come up with the right infrastructure where you're being able to cost-effectively sort out a low-volume product? And so we said, what other products are low-volume? Uh, aluminum came to mind. And aluminum in most of the recycling streams is automatically sorted with an eddy current. And so we thought to ourselves, could you automatically sort a carton? Or does it always have to be sorted by hand? And this was fascinating. When doing the research, and I didn't know this at the time, it turns out that near-infrared optical sorting, its origins are from the carton from Europe. It was, a, uh, it was actually, the technology was adapted by the Tienemann brothers called T-Tech. And the first product they ever sorted in Europe was optically sorted uh, cartons. And we thought to ourselves, what a brilliant way to manage an infrastructure that had scale and that was enabled uh, recyclers to, to do the recycling. And, and so we built this model that uh, was foolproof. We had three months to do it. We built a model that could really prove that not only are cartons recyclable, they can be recycled in, in the recycling infrastructure in the US. And so the next was really just to, to go out and grab scale. And that's where uh, we engaged communities. Uh, we made strategic investments in large facilities where we could start to pull material out. Uh, and the more that the material was being able to be collected through these investments, the more credible the model came because the more proof points we had that this indeed wasn't an idea, this was an action that worked. You know, and so part of, part of developing the end markets, uh, once, we, we, once we had solid proof points at a few paper mills, part of systemizing uh, the process so it, it could scale was to create some sort of standard. So paper mills that were interested in buying cartons knew exactly what they were buying. 
And in order to do that, we needed a qualified grade. And so I remember uh, we worked with ISRI uh, and the Paper Stock Institute, PSI, and they're the, that is the group that, that creates all the grade classifications for many commodities and, and, and for certain all the paper commodities. And we worked with them to create grade number 52, which was for cartons. And by having a published grade, it set a level of expectation so those that are operating MRFs knew exactly what they needed to create in a bale format to sell to a market. And those that were buying cartons knew exactly what they were going to get uh, because that's what the grade you know, had in its specification. And it, create, it created a, a rules of engagement for those that are collecting and those that are buying to make sure that the quality metrics uh, were understood by both parties. And that really also helped uh, put uh, recycling of cartons on the map in the, in the US. Well, Jeff came to me after that and he started talking about things like the MRFs and that's where it's all gonna be sort of, I didn't even understand the lexicon. I had this picture in my mind of little blue men with sticking up hair and he said, no, that's Smurfs. We're talking about the MRFs here. Um, but, but the blank check, that's what had to be filled in now. And uh, it was clear this was gonna cost quite a penny. So it seemed like appropriate that we should then go to the other players in the industry, our competitors, and ask them to participate in the cost of setting this up. And uh, with that, we could also, you know, they would also participate in the benefit. So I, I called them up individually, always a sensitive issue because you know, you, one doesn't really talk to competitors, so you have to be very careful about the topics that you cover. And I asked if I could come and have dinner each, with each one of them separately. And at that dinner, I explained that the way I saw it, it was going to be a constraint to the growth of the industry, that our companies would not be able to flourish if we didn't collect all the material that we'd put out there. And that, of course, is an argument that speaks to the head, but it was more the heart that I wanted to talk about over dinner. And that was, what is the story that we're going to be telling our children, our grandchildren, as businessmen, as industrialists? We'd put it all out there, but what we'd really be proud of is that we pulled it all back in. And by engaging the hearts, we got commitment from them to participate. And what I said at the first meeting was, uh, we as Tetra Pak would cover 50% of the costs if they could split the rest. And then after a year, if you don't like what we're doing, you can quit. Jeff turned pale at that stage because that was, that was his job ending after a year. <clears throat> but you could pull out at any stage if you weren't comfortable with it. And that's how we got the budgeting started. And so there were two sets of issues that flow from pulling competitors together, okay? The first one is that these companies are used to competing against one another and not working together. So at the first meeting, we sat down and we said, look, we're going to focus 100% on recycling. Okay, and what's good for the industry on recycling is good for each company. And what's good for each company on recycling is good for the industry. And we got a commitment from all of the members at that point that they would all work together rather than competing, their usual competing against one another. And um, I have to tell you, this was 
12 years ago. Over these, this 12-year span, these companies have done, that, done extremely well. We always are, uh, I, I believe that we are always aligned and we're rowing in the same direction. So that's piece number one on competitors. Piece number two on competitors is competitors are not allowed to collude on commercial issues and here are all these competitors in the same room. Okay, so we had to make sure that we had no collusion and we also had to make sure that we had, didn't have the appearance even of any kind of collusion. So starting point for every meeting is we have a lawyer there and the lawyer tells us about the uh, guidelines for the anti, for antitrust and if we wander off it, the lawyer always pulls us back, okay? Um, so we, um, and then the other point, which I think is really the key point is, we're 100% focused on recycling. And we are, as an industry, are allowed to do that. And so it, it works great. I mean, there, were, there, were, there was a very narrow focus on three issues. It was policy, making sure that legislation didn't run away with what we were trying to achieve here. And then infrastructure, setting up what Jeff had said needed to happen, and then the communication. Uh, you can never run ahead with communication unless you have the infrastructure, because uh, otherwise you're going to be accused of greenwashing and you're not doing what, what you say you're doing. So we were very clear about those three focus areas, those three work groups were set up, and that sort of continued to be the agenda as we met in the future. Yeah, well, um, it might be a little unusual because we were not the biggest player in the industry. Uh, Evergreen was the largest, and uh, fortunately, their CEO, Malcolm Bundy, uh, shared this vision with me. And then SIG joined as well, uh, Eduardo, and uh, there was a common understanding of something that needed to be done. Right. And I know today, of course, we have the four major carton manufacturers um, in the U.S. and Canada. So Elipac, Pact of Evergreen now, um, SIG, and Tetra Pak. So when did Elipac join forces? They came in shortly after the beginning. And they were, uh, you know, they, they were a, a group that we'd worked with uh, in some of my previous experience in Europe. So they understood the game. They understood what needed to be done. And uh, were very cooperative in, in getting this thing going with us. You know, when, when we had the strategy built, the next, the next part was really to operationalize the strategy. And to do that, we turned to uh, Jim Fry, who was the CEO for a company called Resource Recycling Systems out of Michigan. And he, he had uh, built a company of engineers who really understood uh, engineering solutions for scale. And we turned to him uh, and his team to help us really operationalize carton recycling. And it was about finding the right people, having the right process, having the right procedures, and then having the right strategy to, to, then, to, to work with the municipalities. And so we developed a team of field, we'll say field recyclers, that could understand the local, uh, the local recycling attributes of each market and then we built uh, a scale with, uh, with Jim's support. And that was looking firstly at the top 50 largest municipalities, since we wanted to attack this uh, issue with the most uh, population and the most density, so we could get the most value for uh, you know, the investment, and also actually get the best results, capture the most material to get recycled. 
And so once we developed that, then there was a very clear playbook on how we went to market to actually make the magic happen. And when I say the make, make the magic happen, it was really changing mindsets. Yes, cartons are recyclable. And then actually changing results. Cartons are being recycled. And that's really how we did it, but it was really about taking the idea, building the strategy, and then really having a scalable model with strong credibility. And that's really how we, uh, we, we made it happen. That's how we really brought it to life. Excellent. So it sounds like you had a plan to get the MRFs on board. How did you develop those end markets and how did you work to ensure that once the MRFs sorted the cartons that they had a profitable end market to go to? You know, so, so step one, make sure you can collect the cartons. Step two, make sure you can recycle the cartons. And there's many ways, by the way, to recycle the cartons. Having now done this for many, many years, we thought the best place to start in the US was focusing on the fiber inside the, the carton. Why? Because it's an incredibly high value, highly sought after material. And at that time, uh, paper mills that relied on, the, on that fiber we're seeing their sorted office paper go down and other types of uh, sorted office waste decline. And so they were at this inflection point where they needed material. Uh, and we had the perfect source of material inside the carton. Not only was it the perfect source, it was actually upgraded. I mean, this was the primo material for them to, to put into their paper mill. And when I remember meeting with many paper mills and the first thing they said is, oh, how will we recycle this because it's encapsulated with other layers of non-fiber. And we said, well, let's play. Let's, let's prove to you that there are ways to do it. And if you think about it, most paper mills are like big pulpers, right? They're big washers. When you put the, the fiber into the pulper, uh, what will happen is um, you'll either get an outcome or you won't. And not every single paper mill uh, was able to extract the fiber, but many could and many did and many still do. And so it was really helping devise a model where we would have just the right amount of residence time in the pulper or the right heat, uh, or in some, in some cases, the right uh, additive put in so the carton fiber could flow out. That was step one. Step two then is what do we do with the polyaluminum? And that's an evolution that can continue. Uh, there's many streams for that, but the ultimately, ultimately the, the primary goal was attack the fiber and make sure that there was really strong demand. And over time, the interest continued to grow uh, because I think more paper mills realized that it's not only achievable, it's uh, to be able to extract the fiber, but it's, it's desirable. It's a high quality material. So that's how we really approach the market. That's interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, on average, 70% of a carton is, is fiber. So I think the fiber stream makes a lot of sense. So what came next? How did we you know, kind of connect all of those dots across the entire stream? We worked with local communities to get the word out that cartons could be recycled in their community. Um, and uh, you know, the, the local communities oftentimes had limited budgets. So we thought it was a great idea to help them get the word out about recycling cartons. But we decided that we didn't want to just talk about, have them talk about cartons. So so they would say things like, don't forget to recycle your cartons or, and bottles and newspapers and so forth. And, we, and Alan was talking about the heart before. We really believe that, we, that recycling of all recyclables is important. 
and we actually put our money where our mouth is on that. Excellent. So obviously a lot of work setting this up, right? Getting everything together, getting competitors together, building an infrastructure that didn't exist before. But let's talk a little bit about results. Um, how do we know that all of this effort is paying off? Well, the starting point is 60% uh, access to a carton recycling. And Jeff talked about uh, the PSI grade 52 earlier. That reinforced the idea that uh, the carton fiber is an important fiber that, uh, that needs to get recycled, okay? So those are two of the big things. But I would say, uh, most importantly, the gradual success every day and every week, more and more cartons were getting recycled. And that's how we could keep track. It was a linear growth and it was a large growth and it was very important. Yeah, and I remember 60% was a huge milestone and I was actually working at Tetra Pak at the time, 2017. I'm not yet working on the Carton Council side, but I do remember that was such a huge milestone because it did enable all of the brands out there that have products in cartons to put a non-qualified recycling logo on pack, which is really great. So thinking a little bit about Carton Council and the way we work, what makes Carton Council unique compared to other organizations? Um, Ed, we'll get your perspective. I would say there's one major thing. We are laser focused on recycling. That's it. Um, and uh, we, don't get, uh, we don't get off course. We are focused on it and uh, we establish goals and we actually meet those goals. So I, I would say that is the key element. And also I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but the members are aligned, okay? And all of us, want to make sure that carton recycling grows. And Alan, what do you think? I know you're, you're, you've stepped away from the carton council world uh, in recent years, but what's your perspective? Well, I think that the most important thing was that we got the cooperation of all the parties. Um, you know, these are people who are responsible for financial budgets every year, but it continued to be backed by the leadership of all the companies involved. And I think that we, we ultimately set up something that could possibly be a model for other industries. You know, with, without having uh, legislation poured over us, we volunteered as an industry to get things done. And uh, I think if I look back at this 15, 20 years, you know, it's something that we can proudly tell our children, our grandchildren. And Jeff, from your perspective, what has made the work of Carton Council unique? Yeah, I think just b building firstly on, on what uh, Ed and, and Alan shared, the, the common mindset of like-minded companies that actually want to do good for good reasons, uh, really band together to be a force for good. That is unique, okay? And they also, the fact that the Carton Council takes the long game, they're looking for long-term results, I think is unique and powerful. But when you talk about what makes recycling really happen. We want recycling to happen at scale in all 50 states and all over the place. But at the end of the day, recycling is very local. And what's really unique about the Carton Council is the approach. It's got local field um, experts that are out there understanding how recycling flows and how it works in their own communities. And when you do it from that approach, that's how you get scale. So instead of top-down, it's really from the, from the local market up. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that's really contributed to some amazing results. 
So it's clear that the work across the recycling value chain is a huge factor in what makes Carton Council successful. And I know sometimes that comes in the form of providing guidance and technical expertise from people who have long industry experience, but it can also mean investments and in things like infrastructure grants. So, I mean, Alan, what do you, what do you think is the key to that success? Well, a, a key factor is the commitment from the member companies. And it's, it's, it's an annual budget that has to be put in there and funded to keep this thing going. And uh, I think that's when we, we coined the term voluntary producer responsibility, where uh, as an industry, as producers, we were committed to doing something and we stuck with it all these years. And from your perspective, Ed, I think, you know, having been someone who was at Carton Council at the beginning and continues to be involved in Carton Council, um, how do you feel like it's been going? Well, you know, we're, um, we're proud of what we've accomplished, but we're not satisfied, okay? And a big part of our success is we have the right people doing the right things at the right time. And we're going to continue doing that. And um, yes, we've reached the 60% uh, access goal, but we're not going to stop. We are going to continue pushing forward and forward and forward until our recycling grows and grows and grows. Excellent. And I, I mean, excited to say that today we sit at 62% household access. So it's over 240% growth since the start of all of this. Um, and obviously the three of you had a huge role to play in that along with all the others across the value chain that you worked with to, to make it happen. So it's really inspiring and it's been really insightful hearing from the three of you today. So thank you for joining us and, and sharing your reflections and really telling the origin story of the Carton Council. Uh, and thanks to all of you who tuned in and listened today. Um, our next episode, we will build on the origin story and look a little bit at what the Carton Council has done in the last 10 or so years and also what we are looking to accomplish in the future. So hope to see you there. Thanks. Mm -hmm.